0: How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in today. I have an episode that I could not be more excited to share with you all. My guest today is considered by many to be one of the most inspirational humans to ever walk the face of this earth. And that's kind of hard to fathom when you think about just how many people have walked the face of the earth. It's like 100 billion. But I can tell you, after having a conversation with him and learning about his story there's no doubt in my mind that he is. As a teenager, he was diagnosed not once, but twice, with two deadly yet different forms of stage 4 cancer. And after losing his lung and spending a year in a coma, he beat this and decided that no challenge was too great for him to overcome. And he proved this when he summited Mount Everest with one lung. But that obviously wasn't enough because... He decided after that that he wanted to scale the highest peaks in Africa, Europe, South America, Australia, Antarctica, and North America, completing what's known as the Seven Summits Challenge. And from there, he decided to ski to the South and North Poles to complete what's known as the Explorer's Grand Slam. From there, he completed the Ironman World Championships in Hawaii, making him the only person in human history to accomplish all of these. He's an author, a speaker, and just one of the, I would say, most positive outlooks that I've ever had an opportunity to talk with. And it makes sense. Do me a quick favor, go and subscribe to the show, and enjoy this episode with my friend, Sean Swerner. But before we enjoy this episode, make sure you go to drinkaction.com. Use code word curious for your favorite specialty roast coffee and natural supplements. Look, if you live an active lifestyle and you aren't drinking action, well, you need to do yourself a favor and go to drinkaction.com. Use that code curious to save 15% or sign up for a subscription and save 20%. You'll have the freshest, most delicious specialty roast coffee delivered fresh to your doorstep upon your order. If you're looking for additional things like turmeric and hemp, MCTs from coconut, or even mushroom blends for immunity, you're at the right place. Go to drinkaction.com, use code word curious, and enjoy this episode. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I, um, and I'm sure you probably get that a lot. Um, you're, I mean, Jesus, you're one of the most eight inspirational humans to ever live. Um, I'm like looking at this list. I see like the Dalai Lama, see Newton and Einstein, see you. Um, and (laughs) I've had the fortunate ability to have some conversations with very accomplished people, um, folks who, after I leave the conversation, I'm just like inspired beyond belief, but this is a different level. And I, I really wanted to set the table because I told a friend that I was having this conversation and they're like, Oh, tell me about Sean. And I'm like, all right, hold on a second. So I pulled up my sheet and I was like, you know, so, um, he climbed Mount Everest and he's like, Oh, wow. That's, that's insane. I'm like, yeah, he, he's climbed every highest point on every continent. Uh, he skied to the North pole, the South pole. Um, he's ran the Ironman and completed that, uh, he's been an author of two books. Um, he's, you know, a speaker, he's a motivator. And by the way, he did this with one lung, uh, because he's beaten rare forms of cancer two different times. And my friend was like, you're making this up. And I'm like, I'm not making it up. This is a real person. Um, so I say all that because I want anybody that's tuning in on the front end of this to really pay attention because, that story in itself is inspiring, but the way that you overcame your challenges to do that is what I'm really interested to understand. Because I hear the noise, man, in the world today, and I don't think people understand what they're capable of.
1: Wow, I, I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, you know, who, who's he talking about? Like this, this guy sounds pretty cool. <laughs> I need to meet him. <laughs> I, I appreciate that intro, and I, I appreciate your your willingness to talk to me as well, because, you know, I, I have been through quite a bit in my life, but, you know, the world's, the world's kind of topsy-turvy right now, anyhow, but you're, you're absolutely right. We're all capable of doing more. And it's amazing how, how quickly the mind breaks before the body does.
0: So did all of this culminate with uh, the first diagnosis that you had as a, as a child or a young adult? Or were you an adventurer uh,
1: prior to that? Did you seek out things like this? Well, it's it's kind of interesting because, I mean, I, I was just a normal kid from Midwest Ohio, and you know, like like everybody else in in Willard, um, I, I would I would climb trees and I would dig holes in my backyard and get in trouble just like every <laughs> every other kid. But I I do think that there was there was something different where i was i was looking for more adventure i think and my brother and i and he's he's he used to be the very like mindset we used to have the same mindset and people would would race up the trees when they were little climbing we would race down right <laughs> and and the key was you couldn't jump obviously because you you'd break your leg but we would we would race down the down the tree. Um, and I'm, I'm sure mom, you know, mom and dad probably didn't appreciate that too much. But we, with my friends in high school, and, uh, and we would go out and TP the coach's house. You know, the, we had a cross-country team, a track team. That, that was back before toilet paper was hard to find. And <laughs> we would go out there and, and we would just find ways to, to avoid trouble. But we would do troubling things. So as as a little kid and 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 growing up in Midwest Ohio, I I had the and I still do have the the same you know deep seated family values and morals and ethics, and I think those have been my my guiding uh, compass in life. But I've I've always been adventurous. I've always been an athlete. I've always loved getting out there. One of my nicknames in high school that somehow carried over to college was actually Nature Boy, not like Ric Flair, but like Nature Boy. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I grew up myself, um, I saw you were from small town Ohio, I grew up in um, northwestern Pennsylvania, so small town called Bradford, PA, which is on the New York state line, um, kind of similar, man, not, not a whole lot to do in town, you had to be mischievous and, and have fun to your point, like you know, doing troubling things without necessarily getting in trouble, uh, so I can certainly relate with that.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely, in those small towns, you, you have to manufacture fun
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: You had one, did you have one brother that you got in this trouble yeah.
0: with or, okay.
1: Yeah. Just, just one younger brother. I mean, he, he was three years younger. Um, so he, you know, when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, I was with my friends who could drive at the time. And he was kind of left at home with, with his dev- his own devices with his friends. So we were kind of separate, but then we did some things together, some things not together. We were both swimmers together. And, um, I held records for years and years and years. And, you know, if if my record was going to get broken, I wanted to keep it in the family. So my brother actually would come up and beat my record, and I'm like, "Damn it!" You know what the hell, man. But if someone was going to break the record, I'm I'm glad it was kept in the family.
0: I'm sure that brought some very interesting dinner table conversations or holiday dialogue, for sure.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. We, uh, you know, and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll get to it. But I I, I get together with my brother still now. And because of the, the the two cancers, and like I said, we'll get to that, I'm sure. Two cancers I had, and he was, he was left behind. He he wasn't a priority in in my parents' eyes and the family's eyes, not in the sense that you know having a child's not a priority. But if you have a son who's who's battling for his life and going through the chemo and not sure if, if he's gonna live or not, you know, he got passed off to family members and friends while I was getting a treatment, while I was in the hospital. And we'll still get together now, you know, years and years later. have a couple of drinks and I'll go up to him. He's like, man, I'm, I'm so sorry for pulling you through that. I'm, I'm so sorry for putting you through that. And uh, he'll come up and, and say, it's, it's okay. It was a long time ago. We're, we're still brothers. We're still there. But it's, it, it's something deep-seated, I think, when you go through anything traumatic, it changes your entire life.
0: I listened to Dan Gable recently on Joe Rogan's podcast. And I mean, he's another person that's just so inspirational, his story, his accomplishments in wrestling, both as an individual, you know, contributor in amateur wrestling, winning the Olympics and then coaching. And I never knew he had a sister who was murdered when he was younger. And uh, he was 15, I think he said at the time, and um, he knew the person that did it. And actually had had a conversation with the person a couple of weeks prior where he had said something troubling to, to Dan um, on a walk home from school. And so when they found his sister murdered, he instantly knew who it was. And he told his, his parents that, and you know, I found it interesting that he didn't really, or at least he didn't talk about the correlation that that trauma had on him being such a driven, just determined person all the way through the Olympics and coaching. Um, which I found interesting because I, I, felt, I felt it coming through, like this changed this person. Um, but he also talked about how he didn't think his parents would survive from that and that uh, there was a, a number of years, I think, leading out of that where they fought, there was a lot of alcoholism, you know, blaming each other, blaming themselves. And that there was a turning point, though, where one day he decided that he was actually going to go into his sister's room that hadn't been touched in in a while and lay in there. And he told his parents, like, look, this is it. We move forward from this point. And he said that that was the change and that they found a way to take all those challenging times and use it for a positive and find ways to make, make something good out of a very tragic situation. And I'm sure it's so much different, right? But you know, I don't know if you've had that type of conversation with your brother, if he's been able to find a silver lining or even your parents through that, um, because it seems like you've found a way in your own unique way to take challenging circumstances and use it as fuel for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah, that's really appreciate you sharing. That's a tremendous story. Um, I, I think looking back at it, I was given three months to live the first time. I was little, I was given 14 days to live the second time. And I remember I was laying in the hospital bed and a pastor, a father comes in. He started reading me my last rites. And I can, I can vividly still remember laying in the hospital bed and looking down at my feet and like man on the cloth, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And I looked at my mom and, then, and I, I was confused. Like what's, what's going on? I'm not, I'm not dead yet. So then my brain started thinking, okay, well, maybe I am, maybe I'm seeing this. And she looked at me you know, and she put her, her hand on my forehead and we asked him to leave. But later on in life, I, I realized that it really did take a toll on not just myself, not just my brother, but my whole family. Um, when I was 35, so you know roughly 20 years later, my parents ended up getting a divorce. They both remarried. They're both much happier now. But I think looking at anything traumatic for myself, the cancer, in, in my parents, I think what happens is you you have to find and hold on to some sort of purpose. Because if you don't, if you don't find purpose in, in, in life, if you don't find purpose in what you're going through, why are you doing it? You're gonna flounder, you're not gonna have any reason, and, and you're you're never gonna move forward. You know, I, I can't change the fact that I that I almost died. I can't change the fact that I was in a coma for a year of my life. But I can change my future. I can decide where I want it to go. And I don't think most people understand that. Most people just kind of are are on cruise control and and they're just doing what they normally do because of of the routine that they've developed in the past. And it's so difficult to change that routine. But if if you stop for a minute and you look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself what your purpose is by figuring out what your personal core values are, you can have a a potential different future than, than you initially thought. And in that way, the, the, the thing for me, the cancer doesn't control me anymore. You know, it, it, it's not the word that, that causes me anxiety anymore. I, I don't have that. I go in once a year for my checkups. And for the longest time, because no one's ever had Hodgkin's and Aspen sarcoma before. The doctors just, they just don't know what's going to happen. So every time I go in for a checkup, I used to get super nervous and I realized, there was there was a six-letter word, cancer, that freaked me out until I realized that I have power and I have control over my own feelings and emotions, not the word, not the thing that I went through. And I decided I wanted to move forward and leave that behind, but take with me the pieces that I wanted to change in myself.
0: Did you find that after the first diagnosis or did it take it happening a second time for you to come full circle on that?
1: Great question. I think after the first one, I was 13 the first time around. I don't think I truly understood the ramifications of, hey, you have cancer. You have three months to live. As a 13-year-old, I was on the cusp of my life, the cusp of my teen years. Uh, my friends, their hormones were kicking in. They were growing hair in unusual places on their bodies. I was literally losing the hair all over my body. and I was, I was solely focused on living. And when I was put in remission, I just, I wanted to forget about it. I just wanted to move forward, leave it behind. But then I was reminded of the fragility of life when I got diagnosed with the second cancer. I was just going in for a, a checkup for the first one. So I don't know if, if the second one was there to remind me because after I was in remission from the second one, I left it behind me as well. I, I mean, I went to college. I, I turned into Belushi from Animal House. I, I had a blast, man. It was, it was great. So I was kind of refining my my high school years in college, and then when I went to grad school in Florida. So I went to high school, or I went to high school in Willard, Ohio. Grad school, Westminster College, which is Western Pennsylvania, yeah, um, just south like Grove City area, uh, north of Pittsburgh, forty five minutes. Uh, and when you're in the Midwest, you call them you. you determine uh, distance by by time how long it's going to take you to get there as opposed to the mileage <laughs>
0: yeah i'm, I'm literally <laughs> i'm 20 minutes south of the of westminster right now so oh nice yeah, yeah like newcastle area. North. yeah i'm just south of there i'm in the north north northern suburbs of pittsburgh so
1: got it okay cool i, I still have a bunch of friends there i have some friends who uh, used to be on the south side um but it it was. It was. It took me leaving and going from there to Jacksonville, Florida, for my master's, my doctorate, to actually be alone and start asking myself those hard questions of, of purpose, uh, value, what I wanted in my life. So I don't think it was immediate. I think it was delayed. In fact, even though I was a cancer survivor, my entire hometown of Willard knew it. Um, when we had a Relay for Life, they have that um, opening lap with the luminaries where people can walk in, in memory of someone or, you know, the survivor's walk, I think it is. Even though every single person there knew I was a survivor, I didn't walk that first lap. And I, I think I was, I was embarrassed. I, I don't know why. Looking back at it, you know, it was, it was, it was stupid. But now, know, knowing what I know, I, I wish I would have done it. But it took a long time for me to actually reflect back on something so traumatic to see how it changed my life, but how I wanted it to change my life.
0: So you have your first diagnosed at 13, which it was Hodgkin's lymphoma, correct? Right,
1: right. Yeah, it, it both of more were advanced fourth stage. So they, they gave me three months the first time, 14 days the second time.
0: So in between there, had you continued to go down this route of adventure or you just kind of went to college living life doing your thing
1: the the mountaineering aspect of it was never even in the picture okay you know I, i was always an athlete i was a swimmer for years and i was a competitive swimmer from maybe five or six years old i'd say um and i swam through high school swam through college two sport athlete uh in college i did cross country track and swimming in high school. So I was always active. And maybe maybe I was running from something. Maybe I, I didn't want to face myself. I, I, who knows? You know, if, if you look at all the people who are incredibly successful or all the people who um, are constantly doing like the warrior dashes or the whatever runs, you know, and they do them over and over again, what are they looking for? There's something there that maybe they're running from. Maybe they're not happy with something. They want to keep improving, whatever it might be. You know, it, it takes a very strong person to sit down and literally stare yourself in the mirror. And, and I think the first time I did that is when I was driving from, my parents moved to Sandusky, Ohio. I'm sure you've heard of Cedar Point. Yep. <laughs> they, they drove from, I drove from Sandusky down to Jacksonville and I had to pull over and, and get a hotel room, not because I was tired of driving, but because I was having a panic attack. And I, I remember just staring at myself from the mirror, literally and part of my French, asking myself, what the fuck are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? Because I was going down there. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know what my future was holding. I, I had no clue what I was, was going to be doing in life. And I think that was the first time. I didn't even sleep. You know, it was the first time I stood in, in front of a mirror and I asked myself those deep questions. And I think everybody should. It's, it's not easy. But on the other end of that, that, that difficult journey, the reward is, is priceless.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're, you follow David Goggins, right? I mean, he's, yeah. he's another one that he talks about that all the time, really, that he's, he's running every day away from those demons of the person that he was beforehand. And You know,
1: I, I actually did the, uh, the Hawaii Ironman with him. And when, when people are running away from those demons, man, you can't run forever. They will catch up to you. And at some point you're going to have to stop. At some point you're going to have to take a break and turn around and face them. You have to do that sometime in your life. And it's like I said, it's not easy. It's incredibly difficult. It's, it's, it's like peeling back the layers and just in discovering who you are at the core.
0: So was it that trip down to Florida? Was that the defining moment for you that, you know, like, okay, I, I really need to reflect or did it still take some time after you
1: got down there? But it still it still took some time. I think that was just the first step yeah. you know, it's, it's very similar to climbing Everest when you get to Everest and you get to base camp it, it still takes a month and a half to get to the top. you know a lot of people don't understand that you don't show up and then slowly wake, make your way up there and summit you know day four I got a, I got to base camp April April 8th and summited May 16th. Oh, wow yeah today's April 8th. <laughs> so yeah I, it, it took a month and a half to summit. So I think going, just like anything in life, anything traumatic, going through my cancers, it took a while, but you have to take that first step. And that first step is oftentimes the most difficult, but it's not the last.
0: So you you get this diagnosis the second time around. Worse, It seems like an even worse prognosis, um, if you can have a worse prognosis than being diagnosed with stage four cancer as a teenager, I guess. Um Is that when you ended up in a coma was that second bout of of kind of your illness?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the second time around, um, asking sarcoma, the the prognosis, like I said, was 14 days. And for everybody who gets, basically, I was diagnosed with a, a type of cancer that affects three out of a million people with a prognosis of 6%. So if you have 100 people with this cancer, 94 die. And like I said, I'm the only person in the world who's ever had those, those two cancers, Hodg- Hodgkin's and Aspen's sarcoma. And literally the chances of me surviving both is equivalent to winning the lottery four times in a row with the same numbers. So the second time around, because they had no idea what was going to happen and there was no, um, no one's ever gone through that before. The doctors, every time I was in the hospital, so I don't know if, if you understand how a lot of um, cycles work for, for chemo. But I was inpatient Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, You constantly receiving treatment. And then you have to leave the hospital and give yourself a break so that way your body can recover. Because chemotherapy doesn't attack, a lot of times, it, it doesn't attack the specific cancer. It just attacks rapidly dividing cells, rapidly growing cells, which is why you lose your hair. So when I was in there getting a the treatment Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that's the first half of the cycle. Then the doctors would let me out of the hospital so my body could recover you know, growing more red blood cells, hemoglobin, white blood cells, et cetera. Then I would go back in the hospital when my counts were higher. Again, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, that would be one cycle. And I went, I was in there for three months, uh, a month of radiation therapy, and then 10 more months of chemo. And every time I was in the hospital, because the treatments were so harsh, that's when the doctors actually put me in a medically induced coma. So I, except for that month of radiation therapy, I don't really remember being 16 years old. Man, but, but you have to look back at it with being grateful as, as opposed to looking at all the stuff that could have happened, all the bad stuff. You know, I, I have a sense of humor about it, pretty much everything in life. Um, I can't control an idiot driving in front of me. You know, that's, that's that person's problem. So I just let it go. Um, but I also learned when I was 13, the first time around, I've, I still vividly remember being in the shower on my hands and knees, pulling chunks of hair out of the drain, weeping. You know, was, I was pretty much obese, and I was, I was getting ready for school that day, and that's when all the hair in that shower, that's when all the hair on my head fell out. And I, I decided, okay, well, my life is very different than my friends, because my friends were probably looking at uh, being popular. You know, worried about um, not getting picked on at school, you know, whatever it might. I was fighting for my life, and I wasn't worried about that, in my eyes, that petty stuff. But I also decided that I, I had two options. I could either fight for my life or give up and die. So I wanted to continue fighting. And then as a 13-year-old, I realized in, in that same time I was in the shower, I realized that whatever I had my attention on, whatever my focus was, whatever my energy was focused on was what I was going to get. So I decided I didn't want to focus on not dying. I wanted to focus on living. And I did that as a 13-year-old. And I, I still utilize that now. Going up Everest, I didn't focus on not failing or falling off the ladders that were spanning crevasses. I focused on making it to the top and pushing myself forward. When I'm training, when I'm running, I never tell myself, don't stop. I always tell myself, keep going. You know, Reach, reach that point up there. And then when I reach that point, reach the next point. So I, I, I try to tell myself the positive aspects of things, as opposed to the avoidance of something negative.
0: Man, I wish I, I wish that I could just take that clip and make sure everybody heard it, <laughs> right? Because that's, it truly is all in what you make of it in a lot of cases, right? I mean, you can't
1: control what you can't control. Um, so. Yeah, let it go. Whatever you can't control, let it go. But whatever you do, whatever you can control, <laughs> hold on to it. Look at it from the positive perspective. You know, a, a perfect example, <clears throat> let's say you're walking down the street and you're, and you're telling yourself, don't trip, don't trip. You're, you're gonna fall on your face. You know, but if you turn it around and tell yourself, stand tall, walk strong. Entrepreneurs, you know, people who are investing in the stock market, I guarantee you, they're not thinking, don't lose money. It's all, of, life is all about how you look at it. And the, and the funny thing is we all have a choice. Like you don't have to go through two terminal cancers to develop this perspective. Anybody can do it. It's, it's just a, it's a choice, but it's a choice based on every single mundane decision that you've made in your past to get you where you are today. When you wake up in the morning, you, you, you probably have a routine. You know? And for most people, what they probably do is they grab their phone and they look at their phone either before they go to the bathroom or in you know, most cases while they're going to the bathroom. And, and they're scrolling through media, mindlessly scrolling, not even thinking about what they want for the future, not even think how they want their data to unfold. You know, I don't even pick up my phone until I'm done writing in my journal in the morning and I write down my, my daily affirmation, three things that I want to do and three things that I'm going to try to do. But if you do that over and over and over again, you're either going to have a negative perspective on life or a positive perspective on life. You can program your brain or you can have your brain programmed for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I just want people to really understand that, right? That no matter what you're doing, do it with focus and purpose.
1: Um, Absolutely, and, and even even if you're trying to force yourself to do something, if if you think even further out, you know, you're you're doing that jujitsu because that's one of your values, you know, self commitment or something like that, right? Self improvement. So if if you look at it from another perspective, and I'll challenge you on this one. Instead of thinking that you have to do it, you need to do it, you, you, you should do it, you know, because of your personal core values and how much that means to you, you want to do it. So if, if you just look at it that way, yes, it's difficult, and you eventually, you know, you, you do force yourself to do it, but you're doing it because you want to, and it means something to you. And I think what what helps is is understanding what your personal core values are, and, and I actually... If you're interested in Justin, send me an email, I'll, I'll send you, uh, or anybody who wants, who wants it, Sean at cancerclimber.org, you know, Sean like Sean Connery, cancerclimber.org, I'll send you my, my core values assessment. You know, it's, it's a tremendous insight into what means most to you. And then I take it a little bit further because there are a bunch of them out there, but I take it a little bit further where I have you write them down and then I have you rate how you're actually living those values. So you can then see exactly where you need to start focusing more of your attention to produce a happier life. I
0: would, I would love to. Is that something that you developed along this journey on your own? Did you, How did you kind of come to understanding that?
1: Well, when you, when you spend a lot of times in tents with people who don't speak English, <laughs> like, the, like the Sherpas in Nepal, or you know, the, the, I, I take a group up Kilimanjaro every year as a fundraiser for a cancer charity. Um, if if you're interested, we're looking for we need three more people minimum three more people um, to go this year. I've been up there. T- this will be my 21st summit. We use the same group, same guides. Um, but when you spend a lot of time in tents, you have a lot of time to think, and you either you either come up with some really good stuff or really bad stuff. And I've I've come up with both. So whenever I'm on the mountains, I have a little tiny journal when I, I, I write down my ideas. When I get off the mountain, I put them on the computer and I start trying to do something with them so i think over the over the years you know i've, I've also taken classes to be a, a certified professional coach so i've i've taken bits and pieces of everything that i've read and learned and i'm putting it in my own, in my own life and it, it also came from my keynote presentations so whenever i'm I'm done giving a talk there's always a queue of people to talk, to to share their stories with me and i i love that i love hearing other people's stories because um, you know, earlier you were saying, you know, it doesn't compare to, to what I've been through, but everybody has their own their own reality and, and their reality and their difficulties are, are real to them. So there's no judgment. Um, so I love hearing their stories, but there were always, you know, maybe five, 10 percent of the people who would say that's a fantastic story. But how did you do it? You know, how did how did you crawl eight feet from the hospital bed to the bathroom to climbing twenty nine thousand feet to the top of the world? And then I started thinking about the Kilimanjaro trip, which is the picture behind me. Um, and I was thinking, okay, well, the average success rate on the mountain is 48%. And you know, for all the groups, my groups are at 98%, double the average. I'm thinking, okay, well, what's the difference? And I think the difference is on the mountain, I'm helping people tap into their personal core values. You know, it, it goes a little bit deeper than their why. And I think with, with everything that I've been through, everything that I've learn throughout through these journeys is again going back to the fact that I don't want people to have to go through cancer to to learn what I've learned I don't I didn't have to go to the tops of of the highest points on each continent to find any answers it starts with looking in the mirror it starts with yourself you know so many people are on these outward journeys you know we, we need to start focusing on ourselves we need to start going on these inward journeys Before we can start going after what other people want us to go after. So, you know, social media tells us, um, you know, X is important right now because, you know, this this um, influencer is is, uh, promoting whatever product they're being paid to promote. You you have to go after what you want to go after, because as soon as you start chasing down other people's goals and dreams, you lose who you are.
0: I never believed it when I was younger. I mean, especially growing up in small Northwestern Pennsylvania, you know, you'd hear money doesn't buy happiness and then you become an adult and you start to realize that sometimes money buys bigger problems. And, uh, <laughs> it's, it's so true. You have to be able to be comfortable with who you are. The core value thing is, is huge. It's really resonating since you, you mentioned that because I don't think that I realized that that's what I've done kind of somewhat done recently, that's kind of helped me in a lot of ways unlock things that, you know, I probably wouldn't have pursued um, this podcast, just a number of other things, because it wasn't what was popular amongst maybe the people that I was associated with at the time, you know, it, but I, I did that exercise where I asked myself, all everything else aside, what makes me happy? You know, what, what makes me want to do this? Because to do one or two of these a week for a, even a year right now. I mean, there's times where I'm just not in the mood to get on the phone, not in the mood to get on zoom talk, you know, or where I'll get a guest on and it's, it's just not what I expected. Um, and then I have to go and do the edits and, you know, spend the time to, to put it out there. And that commitment is not possible unless it's something that I truly wanted to do and that I'm accountable for myself because I understand the bigger picture and, I've got a long, long road ahead and I'm, ex- I'm actually really excited to do this assessment that you have uh, because I I know there's more that I can learn and tap into for my own potential. Uh, but I, it's, it's really interesting. that I keep going back to that as we're sitting here talking and thinking about, you know, we've gotten, I think society in itself has gotten away from core values and we are so surface level. And um, whether it's, you know, I grew up in a very religious home, uh, which... You know, I grapple, I kind of went through some evolutions of religion for me. And I, I mean, gosh, I can imagine you've probably questioned everything um, mm-hmm. here, here's the sun and back, right? But um, whether you believe in a higher power or what that higher power is, I think knowing that there's kind of, you got to be true to yourself. And if you can't look yourself in the mirror about the things you're doing, saying um, you're probably not doing the
1: right thing for yourself. Absolutely. I mean, if you're absolutely right, and going back to you know having money and and purchasing things, and so many people think, well, you know, when I get the new house, I'll be happy, or when I when I get the new car, it'll make me feel good. They don't understand that it has to come from in you first before something makes you happy, because it's not the stuff that makes you happy. So you have to you have to feel. Of value yourself or you have to you have to feel worthy yourself before you have something of value and i don't think a lot of people understand that so they they then they they buy something else you know their their second house they think oh well that's that's going to make me feel happy and they're constantly pushing themselves which is great i mean if, if that's what someone enjoys fantastic go for it but if you peel back those layers and you don't have to peel back too far you'll see that the stuff doesn't make people happy it's, it's who they're with. It's who they are. You know, it's, it's the relationship. It's the bonds. It's not, it's not the stuff. And you're absolutely right. You have to start with yourself. And so many people are afraid to do that. And maybe they're afraid because they're, or maybe they're scared because they're, they're afraid of what they're going to see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're, we're brought into this world with these preconceived notions. And I think that's actually, I kind of lost my train of thought when I was saying what I'd saw on your website, but that was what it was. You're born with these constraints. This is how you're supposed to move through life. These are the things you're supposed to do. This is what success is. This is what failure is that. And then you kind of like sit back and you're like, well, wait a second, based on what, you know, because somebody before me said, so, uh, you know, it, but it's amazing how many people hop into the river and go with the current, you know, and don't realize that they can turn around and, and swim upstream,
1: right? Absolutely. And, and so many people say, oh, I, I can't do that because this, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Let me ask you a question. Let's just say you wake up from a coma tomorrow or right now. Let's say you wake up from a coma right now and you have no recollection of your past. And someone standing next to you tells you, you, you that you used to be a violin instructor. Okay. Now, let's just imagine the same thing. You wake up and they tell you, oh, you used to be a special ops in the armed forces. Do you think your mind would see things differently from that moment of not having any recollection from the past and just somebody telling you, hey, you're, 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 you're this or that? Yeah, I mean...
0: Yeah, I would I would think that you'd feel
1: free in a way. And that's what people don't understand. Every morning we wake up, we have a choice of who we want to be. So
0: I mean, I'm sure there's been, there was a lot that happened, but is I mean is that kind of I mean you you had to climb Mount Everest once and have have you climbed
1: multiple times or is it just one time? No, I th- once once is enough. But I am thinking of potentially going back and doing it without oxygen just to see if it's physiologically possible for a guy with half his lung capacity to climb that mountain without uh, supplemental oxygen that's insanity
0: that's <laughs> insanity i god bless you man how, like how do how does it all culminate to that because you know there's a lot of people that have achieved a lot of great things they have the mindset that you have but they decide to stop at the bottom of the mountain and not climb it let alone like go to all the continents and decide to do this and so what What's that first step where you're sitting there and say, you know what? I think I'm going to go climb Mount Everest.
1: Uh, great question. I think it it, it kind of goes back to a story or a moment in my time when I was in Florida. Like I said, working for my master's and my doctorate. I was working three jobs, which I do not recommend. Like, <laughs> like if, if you're going, if you're in a master's program or a doctorate program, just focus on studying. Um, I was bartending at one of the largest clubs in Jacksonville on the beach. You know, I was like, uh, like the movie Cocktail, I was slinging liquor, you know, I was blowing fire out of 151. I thought it was hot stuff. And a, a girl comes up to me and I'm making drinks and she slides her, like uh, her, her, her empty glass across the, the, the bar. And she says, can I, have your, can I have your phone number and sex on the beach? And obviously I knew what she was alluding to. And I'm thinking to myself inside, yes this is this is fantastic but on the outside I'm playing cool and I'm just like yeah sure no problem you know I, I, I gave her the drink this happened a number of times throughout the night and as you can imagine she comes up later on not exactly sober <laughs> to say that and she she looks at me and she says my friends left me can you take me home and inside again I'm thinking yes this is awesome fantastic but on the outside I'm like yeah cool no problem um, so I take her outside, and I open the door of, of my, uh, my stunning Honda Civic, um, <laughs> and we're heading up and over the bridge over the intercoastal, and on the way down, I hear in the passenger seat, ooh, ooh, you know, she's, she's getting sick. I immediately pull over, get, run to the outside, open the door. She gets like the devil out of her, like everything's coming out, and before she passes out, I get her address, and I, I know where she lives, right, apartment 3C or whatever, she passed out, I pull up to her apartment complex, go around the outside of the door of uh, the car, open the door, grab her in my arms and I proceed to carry her up three flights of steps. And I'm standing in front of 3C, no idea what's behind the door, this lifeless body in my my arms. and I'm kicking the door, banging on it with my foot and somebody finally opens it and I, I, I throw this body at her and I'm like, does she belong to you? <laughs> and I, I, I take her inside and I put her on, a papa's on chair and make sure she's okay. And as I was leaving, I saw a table with lines of coke, heroin needles, burnt spoons, pills. I don't even know what they were. I get in my car and I start thinking, that's when I start thinking about my life. And that's when I start thinking, if I continue going down this road, that will be me. I, I had never done that stuff. I never will. It was just, it's just not my cup of tea. I have no interest in that stuff. Um, but I do live in Colorado. So, you know, um, And on my way home, I was thinking of all my life decisions, and I decided that I I, I did not want to go down that path, and I knew something had to change. And that's when I started looking at my values, like, okay, mom and dad did not bring up this Midwest boy with these morals and ethics to go down that dark road. So I think it was maybe a couple weeks later, I dropped out of school. I took quote-unquote, a sabbatical. I guess I'm, I'm still on sabbatical. <laughs> and my brother was graduating from Allegheny. Um, he drove down uh, to Jacksonville, and that's when I decided, okay, well, I, I've been given the gift of the mind-body connection, because I, I think, you know, there's there's definitely a connection there that so many people don't tap into. And I just decided, okay, well, I want to do something tremendous to inspire. It initially started off with inspiring the cancer community, and I kept thinking bigger and bigger and bigger and found that the highest platform in the world was literally Mount Everest. And I decided, okay, I'm going to make it happen. Uh, moved to Colorado, started training 10 months later, went over to Nepal and climbed the highest mountain in the world. 10 months, 10, months training. I trained for the the Hawaii Ironman in six.
0: So not to diverge from your story, but I'll, I'll just give you a quick one. So I have a, I have three younger brothers. Um, and about a year and a half ago, started shooting um, bow a little bit in my backyard. Just more, it was during the very beginning of the pandemic. It was like, okay, I'm isolated to my property here. I grew up in Northwestern PA, so there was a lot of hunting. Uh, I know a lot of people that do that. And I was like, this is, it's, it's a trending thing. It seems like it's a lot of fun. So let me get into this. And I quickly became hooked. Um, and I told my brother, I'm like, I want to go on an elk hunt. And he's like, we live in Pennsylvania. Like, let's go start with like white-tailed deer or something, like sit in a tree stand and relax, you know? And I'm like, no, no, no. I want to go to public lands. I want to backpack five, six, seven days, however long it's going to take. And, you know, let me find. So I did my research and, you know, identified the St. Joe's National Forest out in um, Northern Iowa, or I'm sorry, in um, Idaho. Actually, it's on the Western side of Idaho. And the two of us were going to go, I kind of, you know, Google earth trying to look, okay, here's all the public lands. Here's some roads, water source. Like we, and my bro, everybody I told is like, you are absolutely insane. And I was like, we have about a year and two months to make it happen. So I say all that because I know a couple of these people are listening and I don't want to hear shit from anybody (laughs) that I can't go and be successful in a backcountry elk hunt in a year with a year's which is not a lot of time. I get it. But I mean, right there, you know, less than a year and you made it happen. Um, Any regrets in doing it in less than a year?
1: Absolutely not. No. I mean, if you you put your head down, you, you, you do the right things. Um, A lot of us was, was trial and error, thankfully less error than trial, but it works out. And and if you want to go do something and you have the confidence to do it, you put in the due diligence, you, you, you become ready. Like, like I said earlier, the mind breaks before the body does. So I knew I was mentally ready. I just had no idea how my body was going to handle being in that altitude with, with one lung. And how was that? It honestly, I think it was the sherp. So the sherp is actually They call me Dawa Dorji now, Dawa Dorji Sherpa, because I was actually hiking and climbing with them. And they kept saying, well, you're a strong climber, strong climber. But I think it was because I was enjoying the mountain. You know, I I had no idea when I was going to go back or if I was going to go back. So I wanted to make, to make the most of every day, which is what I did. So I I don't think it was, it was, I hate to say this, but climbing Everest was easier than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. I was going to ask you that. I mean, you've done so many
0: things and You know, I I looked and I'm like, man, that's got to be the hardest thing that he's ever done, but that's kind of silly to say because he's beaten cancer twice. That's probably the hardest thing that he's ever had to to go through. I mean, facing death directly, um, but from just the, the adventure. So Everest wasn't, from your perspective, wasn't the most challenging thing physically that you've done so far.
1: Absolutely not. I think battling back from being in remission to becoming an athlete again was more difficult it's interesting. Yeah. And, and people people ask me too, well, which was more difficult, climbing Everest or doing the Hawaii Ironman? You know, they're completely they're they're very very different. Everest like I said was a month and a half. The Hawaii Ironman is, is was over in 11 and a half hours. But they're both mentally taxing. I think if if you have if you have the mental prowess to to push forward and understand that pain is temporary, then you can continue forward doing anything. So when you did Everest, because I know
0: a lot of the things that I've seen recently <clears throat> is there's like a line to get up
1: Everest. Was <laughs> there, that there? There, there, there is now. Yeah. But back, I actually, I climbed Everest in 2002. So uh, what, 19 years ago now, um, when I was up there, I was a third person to summit that season. So there weren't that many people in, in queue to get to the top. And it was, it was beautiful. I mean, I, I remember being up there uh, crying like a little baby and, and seeing the curvature of the earth and seeing the people who were coming up as well. So, but it wasn't a, a, it wasn't a popular vacation destination like it seems, as it seems like it is now. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: would imagine that uh, just standing up there What's that moment like when you're, at the time, you know, probably just thinking about what you've come through and where you've
1: gotten, I mean, you, at literally the heights of the world? You know, the, the reason and the purpose of, of me being on the mountain was on a flag that I carried in my chest pocket. And I had it there every day. It was always, it was always close to my heart as a constant reminder of my goals and, and my inspiration. And it was probably I don't know two feet by a foot. It had hundreds of, of names of people touched by cancer, people who um, unfortunately passed away. Uh, so I was carrying them up in memory, um, or you know people who were who are fighting currently fighting, or people who are in remission. So that was where I got my strength. And when I got to the top, I had all those people with me, and I, I actually wrapped that the flag around the summit. So when I got there the emotional release that i had was was tremendous i collapsed to my hands and knees i put my head in my face and I, I lost it i wept because i was thinking of all the people who were battling for their lives because that that's my hope and that was my inspiration and i remember calling to my brother down at base camp on my, on my radio and then he in turn called mom and dad who were in south carolina at the time um, on the satellite phone and i remember he, my mom told me this but when I was talking to my brother, I could hear him on the satellite phone saying, at this moment in time, you have a son who's standing on top of the world. So then everybody was in tears. Like I was in tears, my brother was in tears, my mom was in tears, my dad was in tears. And the and word spread around that the first cancer survivor climbed Mount Everest, but it was, it was an homage for everyone who's ever been battling for their lives. So when I got up there, I, I wasn't alone. On all these mountains, I'm, I'm never alone. Up Kilimanjaro, I'm never alone. You know, on the Hawaii Ironman, I'm never alone. My next my next big adventure, I want to run seven marathons on seven continents in seven days, and I want to have my jersey, you know, on each continent, have just be covered in names of people touched by cancer. So wherever I go, I'm I'm never alone. Did
0: that Did that ascent calm like when you you make that trip up, you come down kind of go through all that emotion how quickly after you did that did you realize that this was something that you wanted to make repeatable and that like okay i want to go to the highest point on all the continents
1: it it was probably a a few months later back home in colorado and my toenails were starting to grow back in again (laughs) and i i started forgetting about the pain and i started remembering the good things so it, it took a while because uh, I remember being up on the on the summit ridge where I, I, was, I was bouncing up and down because I, I couldn't feel from my knees to my toes. I, th- I thought I was going to lose my feet because they were numb. And it was complete darkness, except the sunrise was coming up on my right side. And on my left side, straight out at eye level, I, there were stars. I mean, I didn't even have to look up. That's There was nothing in the way. And it dropped off two miles to my right, mile and a half to my left. Um, in moments like that, I remember. You know, I, I I forget the blood blisters. I forget the the tremendous cold. So I think if if you if you look at quote unquote fun, and I'm sure you you've probably heard this before. There's there's like type A or type one fun and type B fun, where type A fun is in the moment you're thinking to yourself, this is fantastic, this is awesome, like a roller coaster, woo, this is great and then type two fun or type b fun in the moment it's it's miserable but you get home and you think to yourself wow that was that was a great that was a great trip i had a i had a really good time
0: mm-hmm. i have i've heard that a couple of times never with the context of uh, <laughs> mount everest but yeah I, it's so true you know i it was, when I saw that you were from Ohio, you mentioned Sandusky. I was like, man, I remember going to Cedar Point all the time as a kid. And for a minute, I thought about that. So it's funny you bring up the, the roller coaster analogy, because that is, I've, I've done so many things like that. I've been so fortunate to to travel a lot of great places and spend good times with people. Uh, but it is, it's it's those moments where you go through that tremendous pain that it's probably appreciation more than anything that you're feeling deep down inside. Um That's enjoyable, right? That's, uh, it's deeper than just that, that quick moment of
1: of dopamine rush. Absolutely. And I think the more, the more difficult the challenge, the more, the bigger the reward. Mm -hmm.
0: So seven continents, seven marathons, seven days
1: in seven days. How do you coordinate something like that? (laughs) Well, hopefully we get a, a plane sponsorship. So if anybody has connections with, I don't know, American, Delta, United, Virgin, you know, whoever it might be, you start in Antarctica because once, once you run there, then you have, you know, six days and 23 hours, whatever, whatever time it is, then go to South Africa, then head over to um, Australia, I think Perth, then Dubai, then Madrid, then Santiago, and in Miami.
0: Yeah, because that's that's right. I'm thinking as you're saying that you have to plot out where you're going because you're (laughs) losing time
1: in your travels. Wow. Yeah. So basically, you you get off the plane, you run, you get on the plane, you eat, you sleep, you get off the plane, and repeat. Wow.
0: Insane. When is this going to take place potentially?
1: Um, I was hoping for January of 2022, but again, looking at the state of the world, I think it might be pushed off until 2023, just because I obviously need a tremendous amount of sponsorship for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm certainly going to be staying tuned um, to see how that pans out. No doubt in my mind, you'll stay motivated to make it happen.
1: I hope so. Maybe you can join us at the
0: in, in Miami. I. I would love to, you know, you've, you've got my, I'm sitting here looking at you talking and I keep glancing at the mountain behind you. And I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, maybe I'm just crazy enough to, to make a trip to, to climb it. Um, that would be a blast, man. It, re- it really would. And you, you get one chance at this life. And uh, those are the things that, you know, to your point, they're difficult, but they stick with you forever and they leave a, a mark that then gets to be able to be passed on to so many other people, um, which is probably the thing that's, not even focused on the most, but has the greatest impact.
1: Absolutely, and and you're right with Kilimanjaro. It's it is literally a life changing trip, and saying it does nothing, it, it, but experiencing it does everything. And like I said, we've I've been up there. This this will be my 21st summit. I've used the same local guides, the same porters, the same everything. So we're treated like family. And they actually, they adopted me into the Chugga tribe over there. And they they gave me a Swahili name and everything. They, they call me Mizungu Kicha, which translates into crazy white man. <laughs> 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 Thanks a lot, guys. So when we go over there, we do a seven-day trip up and down the mountain. And we do a four-day safari through the Serengeti. And it literally changes your life. When do you do this? If you want to go, show up at... Kilimanjaro International Airport, July 24th. Or shoot me an email. I'll send you the itinerary and everything. Wow.
0: My wife's going to love this episode. (laughs) Uh, So, I I mean, obviously, I mean, we could sit here and talk for hours and hours. I'm fascinated by you, your mentality, your your accomplishments in general. Um, You're also an author. You've written two books. Um, one, um, keep climbing. It's yep, kind climbing. of more about your life story, correct?
1: Right. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a, an autobiography. Um, and then the second one is, is actually being published right now. Uh, the biggest thing right now is just go to the summitchallenge.com. It's, it's everything I've learned, put into a nice, neat package to encourage people to, to chase their own dreams and, and learn how to do what I've done but on your path based on your personal core values, you know, and it really peels away the, uh, the layers and it pushes people to, to do that inward journey and it teaches them little tools that you can utilize throughout your day to become whoever you want.
0: I really appreciate you taking the time, man. This was fantastic. And, uh, I, I know this is going to make a big impact on a lot of people. I hope it's, Hope it's something that, um, yeah, man, I mean, I don't even know. It's, it's, it's been an honor and you've got you've got my gears. I'm like thinking like eight different things right now that, uh, that have me excited, but more than anything, thank you for taking the time.
1: I appreciate it a lot. I, I appreciate it too, man. It's, it's, it's been great. And, and I am very grateful for you and the opportunity to share my story. So like you said, hopefully it resonates with a couple of people and, and changes the, uh, how they could potentially see their own futures but thank you for the opportunity really appreciate it
0: most definitely sean